Well, good morning. Let me have my thanks to the worship team also. And uh, it is good to be here. And preachers and presidents are notoriously guilty for exaggerations. Uh, but truly, uh, I do enjoy the friendship uh, that I share with, with Mark whenever uh, leaders from Christian higher education here in Canada gather together or when we gather with our ABHE colleagues in the States. Uh, I always look forward to connecting with Mark and we have a good, uh, a good conversation, uh, a lot of uh, shared values and shared aspirations and shared commitments. And uh, Mark, I just want to thank you for your very generous donation to Briarcrest uh, this past week. I was very, very thoughtful. It's okay. <laughs> I just want to commend you for what you're doing. I want to commend you for being here. In 2011, the check engine light came on and Hemorrhaging Faith told us that about two-thirds of emerging adults drift from the church. The check engine light was still on in 2018 when the EFC commissioned another study, the Renegotiating Faith Study, told us that we're still hovering, about two-thirds of our young adults are drifting from the local church when they leave high school. And one-third of that total number of, of Christian young people are completely jettisoning their faith. Now, growing out of the 2018 Renegotiating Faith study, there was another study called Competition for Character. And that one provided some very helpful data on, on those that were staying with the faith. And among a handful of really critical observations, one of the most uh, key ones was engagement in Christian higher education. So we, we want you to come to Prairie or Briarcrest and leave and change the world. But even more fundamental than that, we want you to stay with the faith. Your parents want you to stay with the faith. Your churches want you to stay with the faith. And so your very being here is, is an absolutely critical and wise decision to further ground you for the challenges of life, for vocation, for ministry, for all that lies ahead of you. And one of the most significant things you could do in terms of discipling your friends and peers and colleagues is to invite them to a place like Prairie, to help them become grounded for the challenges uh, in this exceedingly turbulent and complex world. So, encouragement uh, to you today. Uh, let me just say, um, happy to chat with you a little bit about Broadcast Seminary. We have a number of programs that, uh, that you might be interested in learning about, so I'd be happy to answer some of those questions. I can answer broad questions beyond that. You'd have to speak to some of our, our, our seminary team, but I'd be happy to engage with you uh, either after briefly or, or later on after lunch. Uh, would welcome the opportunity to connect uh, with you for a few minutes. Well, digital, digital marketing experts tell us that uh, the average North American receives between four and 10,000 messages a day. So whether it's the content you're gonna receive in class, whether it's some sort of Instagram, whether it's some sort of pop-up, whether it's something you're engaging online with, four to 10,000 messages, ads, pieces of information, a lot of voices coming into that cranium of yours and mine. Somebody has said, voice in my head may not be real, but they sure have some good ideas sometime. Well, I'm not sure if that's always the case. Uh, sometimes they are, but uh, some of those voices that we hear coming into our minds are distracting, 
Some of them are actually destructive and damaging. Some of them are subversive, divisive, toxic, and even lethal. And all those voices are coming into our minds. And so I want to ask you this morning, what, 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 what dominant voices are you hearing, or what is the dominant voice you're hearing? When I was a kid, I sure knew the voice of my dad, Michael, with his big German accent, and he'd shove me in. Boy, no matter where I was, I heard my dad's voice. And that was a dominant voice in my thinking. And this morning, we're going to look at this beautiful metaphor that Jesus gives us of himself. As you're in this I Am, what a great series. And he gives this image of, of being a good shepherd, but in this good shepherd motif, this image, he talks about the voice of the shepherd. And so let's look at this passage this morning. Turn to, turn to John chapter 10. Let's read this uh, section of scripture together and, and let's make some observations out of this passage. And as you're turning, let me just again remind you of the context. Uh, Prof. Allison talked about this last week. We've just come out of an episode where someone blind was healed and Jesus has once again been meddling with the religious power structures of the day. And they're, they're ticked off yet again. So with that as a backdrop, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then he says, the thief. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand does, is not a shepherd. He who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and they scatter. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Clear enough? Well, the message was received, but once again... Look at the conflict that ensues. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. That is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who was, who was possessed by a demon or oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open 
the eyes of the blind? So here, here we have this, this response to Jesus' expression of who he was and his identity. See, there was once again issue because Jesus was challenging, he did so relentlessly and fearlessly, he was challenging the religious leaders of the day He was challenging their authority because their religion was oppressing. It was sucking the life out of the people. And here he challenges their thinking. And there is once again the question, who is this Jesus? Does he have the authority to say what he says? Does he have the authority to heal the way he does it? Does he have this power? Who who is? Is he demon-possessed? Is he doing this out of the powers of Beelzebub? Like, what, where does this come from? And Jesus is saying, bluntly, I'm the door. He uses two images here, the door, and you've talked about that last week. And he says, I'm, I'm the shepherd, the good shepherd. And he wanted them to hear this voice, his voice, because their voice was crushing the people. Now, rather than look at this passage verse by verse, I want to make some broad observations and draw out some principles of this voice that the good shepherd speaks of. First, the image itself, that of a shepherd. He's a beautiful shepherd. And for those of you interested in leadership, if you're developing a theology of leadership, you need to study what a shepherd was and what a shepherd did. Because there's three simple words that describe the function of a shepherd. Protect, provide, guide. That is what shepherds did. In the Old Testament, this motif was first developed. Of course, God himself was our shepherd. Then the first human leaders that are referenced as shepherds was Moses, as in he was literally a shepherd, and then he became a spiritual shepherd. And then, of course, David was also a real shepherd, functional shepherd, and then was spoken of in terms of being a spiritual shepherd. And growing out of those two dominant individuals, we have frequent usage of this word shepherd describing leaders, so kings, prophets, teachers. And their function was to protect, provide, and to guide. And if you're developing a theology of leadership, you better grapple with that, because that says so much about what the calling of leadership is. And so you're present. Mark is a shepherd here, protecting, providing, guiding. All kinds of shepherds here. That's, that's the function. Jesus here says, I am a shepherd to my people. And here he reminds them afresh of that function and of that calling. So when it comes to protection, what did shepherds do? Well, well, you've heard this before as you've heard sermons on Psalm 23, no doubt. But of course, a shepherd carried two sticks. One was a club, literally a club, oftentimes with spikes or nails in the end, to ward off the attack of wolves, predators, lions, bears, hyenas. And, and then he'd also have a, a rod, which was a kind of a, uh, or sorry, that would, a staff rather, that would, that would hook the, the feet of the sheep and pull them back in line. They would protect their sheep. They would take them at night into sheep's pens or sheep's folds. Sometimes those were designed enclosures, but oftentimes if they're out in the fields, they would use the natural geographical structures in place, the natural formations of the terrain as, a, as an opportunity to protect the sheep. And so he'd lead them into these sheep's pens, these, these folds, and of course a shepherd would sleep at the outermost 
uh, wide entry point into that sheepfold or that sheep's pen, and he would protect his sheep. He would lead them. He would guide them. He'd provide for them, leading them to places to drink water, places to eat food. This, this would be on his mind because his calling was to protect, provide, and guide. And so here in this passage, when, when we have the shepherd calling the sheep by name, what often happened, especially if you were out in the fields and, and there, were, there was this large enclosure, there might have actually been multiple flocks in one pen, but in the morning, each shepherd would call his sheep and the sheep would, they would literally recognize the voice of their shepherd and they would follow that shepherd. So you remember, in this particular contest, sheep, sheep were used primarily for their contribution of wool, not as a source of lamb chops or mutton. And so shepherd might be with these sheep for years. They knew his voice and he knew his sheep. And, and so Jesus is giving us this kind of imagery. This is what shepherds do. And he's saying, I am, here he says, the good shepherd. Look again at verses seven to 10. This is critical. So Jesus said to them, said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. There's that first image. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers and the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they might have life, have it abundantly. Who are the thieves? Those that take away. Jesus isn't being subtle here. He's referring to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's referring to the religious elites of the day because they were doing just that. They were charging exorbitant rates uh, as exchange rates were, 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 were taken in the offerings in the temple. They would charge excessively in their offerings. They would steal not only money, but they would steal joy. They would steal liberty. They were in many ways thieves and Jesus challenges them on their theft. And he not only says that, not only did they have the oppression of Rome and had to live under that oppression, they also had to live under the oppression of their religious leaders, but he also says that these often also even killed. And we know zealots of the day, not that dissimilar to terrorism's, terrorism acts today where we use children, families, schools as human shields or offering up suicide bombers for political cause. And that's what's happened with the, the zealots as well. They, they were offering up lives of their colleagues, of their families, or themselves to advance a political agenda. Again, man-made religion, religiously and politically motivated, but these were those that had come before Jesus, thieves, who had come to steal, kill, and destroy ultimately inspired by the evil one. And Jesus says, I've come that they might have life. A surplus. An abundance of life. That, that is, in its simplest terms, that's what the surplus speaks of. That's what the abundant life speaks of. So this past weekend, likely, most of us had a surplus of food, right? Yeah. It won't be long before we'll have a surplus of snow. But Jesus here is speaking about a surplus of grace and peace. 
this is the good life. This is the abundant life. Forgiveness. And, and I don't want to sound like the old guy this morning, but this, this, this never becomes routine. Certainly the objective of discipleship is to grow in conformity to the image of Christ. And we want to become more godly, but the reality is the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we realize just how bent and distorted and twisted and broken we are. But we have a, we have a surplus of grace. Our lives are, are breathed in with meaning. And that isn't just the grander sense of call, which I hope you figure out. But because of our relationship with God, everything we do every day, at every moment, every conversation, it can have purpose and meaning. It can touch eternity. We have a surplus of meaning. We have a surplus of relational capacity now. A relationship with God that will not end, does not end, eternal life isn't just starting now, but it's life with the eternal one forever. These are some of the qualities of, of, of of the surplus life, a surplus of hope. And as horrendous and as turbulent and as challenging these days can be, we do aspire to a world yet to come. Let's live today, but there's more and there's better yet to come. This is the, but the good life is not about celebrity status or wealth, and we know that in our heads. But Jesus here is saying that this, this is the abundant life, this is the surplus life that I want to give you, a surplus of grace, and peace, and love, and relationship. And it isn't just relationship with, with, with God, it's relationship one with another. The relationships you are developing here, you will carry many of these with you for the rest of your lives. And there are all kinds of people with all kinds of likes and all kinds of friends on social media and are desperately lonely. This is the abundant life grafting us into this family. And this is what God wants to give us. And he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life with the sheep. He's ontologically good, meaning he's, he's very good in his core, not just because he's good at protecting and providing and guiding, but he's, he's good in that he is perfect, he's complete, he's holy, he's righteous in his very essence, in his very attributes. And this good shepherd speaks and he calls out to us and he has a voice. So let me give you three voices. First of all, there's there's the voice of life. The voice of the abundant life. This is the voice that the good shepherd calls out with. And and you and I have have got to hone our, our capacity and our skills of discernment. And that's one of the values of higher education, to develop those healthy critical thinking skills where you're always evaluating and asking yourself, I see the tip of the, I see the, tip of the iceberg, but what's, what's going on underneath? And so the culture we live in today, we've got to be much more thoughtful, much more wise, much more vigilant in terms of the messages that we are hearing on our daily basis, on a moment by moment basis. Let me, let me just touch on some of these cultural values, which you know, but I nevertheless have to remind ourselves because, because we're all swallowed into this vortex. You know, our, our, our fixation with products would tell us that things are more important than people. 
And you know, you can beat up your parents' generation, but some of them have a flip phone while you've got an iPhone 10. It's like values. It, it, we all have our issues, right? And we can fixate on certain things that we think will somehow enhance or breathe some kind of an abundance life into our experience. It doesn't deliver. Our fixation on our bodies over our soul. And we know that isn't right, but where do we give our attention? It's often in our bodies. Beauty. Strength. Youth. And some of us are having furniture problems where our chest is falling into our drawers. You know, things change, right? And you're growing in hair where you don't want it to grow, and then you're losing hair where you wanted it to be. And, and, but we've, we fixate on, on the body and not the soul. Or we fixate on the power of choice. Now, I need to say this carefully because we are given this capacity of choice. As image bearers, we are given will. But we have this illusion, this, this idea that, that I can choose whatever I want without consequence, without implication. So I can choose my ethic. I can choose my morality. I can choose my gender. I can choose what I do with my body, whether I carry the fetus or not. All without consequence. Well, it is true, you're given the freedom of choice. You're given the capacity of will but not the luxury of absence of consequence. And we even think we have this idea culturally, but it's impacted the church, that we can choose our own truth. Many of you have seen Fido's commercial with Michael Sam, the openly gay NFL football player. And at the end of the ad, it says, living your truth creates progress for all. That is a powerful voice that represents a whole, a whole cultural paradigm, a whole cultural mindset, a whole worldview that is totally antithetical to the voice that Jesus is calling us with. See, this, this, this is the voice of life, and we have all kinds of voices of death. Then there's those internal voices we hear. You're too fat. You're not smart. You're a loser. You, you, you're, you're damn, you're damn, you know, whatever. All these, some of them come from our own family of origin. And we hear these voices being played over and over in our minds. And these are not the voices of life. And Jesus says, I have a voice of life. The second voice in here, the voice of leadership. I love verse three and four. To him the gatekeeper opens... The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. It, there's this simple transaction going on. The shepherd speaks. The sheep listen. And not just listen with their ears, but act upon it. That's the voice of leadership. Set aside your narrow image of shepherd as in caregiver or chaplain, which is significant, it's part of it. But think shepherd as in leader. He is the good shepherd who speaks words of life and words of leadership. I, I've been working through kings in my own personal quiet time. A few weeks ago I was 
reading the story of Elijah and his, his showdown with the prophets of Baal. And it's a great story. You, you many of you know it well. And, 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 and he, he calls all the, the remnant of Israel, but he calls all the people together and he calls the prophets of Baal and you recall how he taunts them and says, well, you know, call on Baal and they, they prepare, they prepare the, the, the altar and they douse it with water. And it's, read the whole story in, in 17, 18, 19, 1 Kings. But at one point he, he calls out to the, the congregation, the people, the crowd. And, and this is what he says and it'll, it'll sound like Joshua's words but it's actually a little bit different than Joshua's words as they're entering the promised land. He says this, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? Now, in Joshua's account, when it says, choose you this day whom you will serve, you know, whether the Lord your God, whether Yahweh or the gods of Canaan, and there he's making a much more clear demarcation between two worldviews. But here, in, in this account, Elijah's saying, you turkeys, how, how long are you gonna limp between these two opinions? And literally, the phrase is this, how long will you hop between two forks? What's the implication going on here? They were trying to have it both ways. A little bit of Yahweh and a little bit of Baal. A little bit of Christianity, a little bit of culture, maybe a lot of culture. And they were trying to graft it all together not just in some sort of sophisticated religious syncretism, but in terms of culture and the way they live and the choices they make. They want to have it all. And Elijah says, you can't do that. You gotta choose. You can't keep hopping between the two. You can't live in this ambiguous, no decision zone. It doesn't really exist. This is the voice of leadership. Jesus calls, we listen, respond. And then lastly, there's this voice of community. And Justin went there last week as he talked about home and what you have here. But I want you to look at verse 16. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is a voice of community. This is the voice of unity. This is the voice of oneness. And Jesus was beginning to pepper their thinking with something big that was gonna take place starting in Acts. And that was the grafting in of the Gentiles. Jesus was about to blow their minds and their, their expectations and their stereotypes because, because they, they had such a focused view on, on Israel being the people of God, which they are, but their mandate from the beginning was to be salt and light to the nations of the world. And Jesus was going to do that through his disciples, through the Great Commission. And here he reminds me, he says, there are sheep that are, aren't part of this fold yet, but they're coming. This is the body of Christ. This is Ephesians 2 where, where he creates one new man from the Jew and Gentile. This is going to be way bigger than you think. And one of the hardest things to unlearn is Exclusivity where you think, you know, I've, I've, got it, I've got it figured out. And no one else really has, but I've got it. And, and we think, you know, we're just, and Jesus saying, no, there's lots more. From different backgrounds, different races, different economic strata, di- diff- wildly different. 
and we're going to have one flock, and I'll be their one shepherd. And, and this is a, a beautiful thing. And the voice of Jesus is the voice of a good shepherd who protects, provides, and guides, who gives us a voice of life, a voice of, of leadership, a voice of community, oneness. We're in this together. We're in this together. We'll compete athletically, okay, just to be clear. But beyond that, we're, we're in this together. So thoughtfully reflect on what voices are you hearing? Four to 10,000 a day, you're hearing. Some of those messages are messages of life. And you're hearing, as you engage in the scriptures, the voice of God. And some of those messages that we hear every day, multiple times a day, are voices of death. Now the serpent was more crafty than other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God says, Who told you you were naked? What voice were you listening to? Father in heaven, we hear so many voices. May our ears be acutely attuned to the voice of the good shepherd. Thank you for what we have in the pages of scripture. A voice of life surplus, a voice of leadership to protect us and to provide for us and to guide us, and a voice of community you've grafted us into this wonderful thing called the body of Christ. These are the words of life. God, help us to discern that between the words of death. May this be so because of Jesus and the spirit that lives in us. For it's in his name we pray.
Amen.